Welcome to today's episode of the Routing Table Podcast. My name is Rick, and I'm here with my co-host Melchior. Hey, Melchior. Hey, Rick. Today we are joined by James Bensley. Hi, James. Hey, guys. Today we're going to discuss what does a good network design look like. James is going to tell us all about it. So, James, just to get started, can you explain to the listeners who you are and what is it you do in your daily life? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, so my name's James, and uh, I work for an ISP in the UK. And on paper, my, my job title um, is that I'm a network design engineer. Um, I find in this industry, people have all the, the same job with 10 different titles. Um, so, you know, essentially, I'm a network engineer, but primarily focusing on network design. And that, that's hopefully what we'll get to talk about today. Yeah, what, what is that? What is network design? What exactly does it mean? And what is a good design? Um, and so my focus is essentially designing network products and, and building them and seeing them through to fruition. And, that, and that's my background as well, yeah, designing and building networks and, and products. Thinking of network designs as products and not just Visio diagrams and bits of config. But as engineers, the, the network is the product, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Uh, this is something that really um, bothers me um, about network engineering. You know, I think m most people who get into networking it's usually through a technical route. You know, most people you know start off in first or second line support and then move on to doing network design or something, or they become architects or they move into perhaps more sales roles and so on. But we all start off with this passion of of the technology and and the network and, and doing technical network things. Um, but, and so, as you say, the network is the product, but, um, I think network engineers aren't always seeing that, that full picture. You know, many network engineers I know that they're, they're absolutely obsessed with the technical side of things and something that I regularly see and is one of my sort of most annoying occurrences in my day-to-day -day life is I see on social media and on, um, mailing lists and Slack channels and stuff people asking a technical question and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking in my head, the answer to that question is a product related question. Um, perhaps I can give you an example, um, which is, which is that I, I saw a question recently on, um, on a mailing list and the, the poster is asking the question. They're saying, I've got a router on a stick topology. So I've got a switch, bunch of customers on the switch and then the switch, as a trunk up to a router and all the customers terminated layer three, you know, sub interfaces on the router. Right. Mm -hmm. And the guy's saying, how should I do the rate limiting of these customers on the switch on their individual access ports or on the router on the sub interfaces? He's so it's, it's, a, it's a generally, it's a technical question. He's pitched to a technical audience. And so, yeah, most of the responses that came in were technical, but, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, this is a product question. What's, you know, basically, what's the product you're selling? If you have a router on a switch design, um, then we, we can guarantee that the port on your router is oversubscribed. Otherwise, you'd just be sticking all those customers straight on the router. right? The reason you've got router on a stick probably is because the, the switch is cheaper. Yeah. 48 by 10 gig line card in a router is expensive compared to a, a, a 10, 48 port 10 gig switch, you know, with just 100 gig uplink. Mm -hmm. So that the uplink must be oversubscribed. So then the question is, what is the product that you're selling? Um, 
you know, there's, there's going to be times when um, that link may get close to being congested. And how, how, for what percentage of the time do you guarantee that each of those customers that their individual bandwidth will be available? You know, so you've probably got some SLAs that says there's, there's no packet loss for 99.9% of the time or the bandwidth is available, you know, five nines of the time or whatever. So the question is, in my head, or the answer to that question is, you know, you can rate limit on the on the um, router sub interfaces. You know, if you're confident that that the frequency and severity of the congestion that you may experience on that switch up link is in line with your SLAs, but if that switch up link is is very 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 heavily oversubscribed, then you're going to have to um, do the rate limiting on the switch ports, not on the router. So, and this is the kind of thing that you know I see a lot of is that these. To me, these are almost like network technical product questions. But a lot of engineers just view it as a purely technical, which they say, they, they, they phrase the question like, what is technically better, limiting on the switch port or limiting on the router port? Right, and your recommendation would be to just take a step back and what's the goal you want to achieve, right? Exactly, yeah. I think, I think yeah, and I'm definitely guilty of this. And I think a lot of people are, as we get sidetracked by the shiny, shiny technical and um, we just, we, especially engineers, you know, we look and we think, what's the best technical solution I can think of? But mm-hmm. probably the answer is, what is the requirements? And to understand the requirements, you need to understand, you know, what's the, what have we sold? What's the product that we develop? And so that, and that's a lot of what my day job is, is, is designing the network product, defining the, the actual, the technical product requirements that meet the, some, some business requirement, um, defining those technical product requirements and turning those into a network design. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a real lack, a, a, there's a big lack in the community of, of discussion around network design. We, there's loads of talk about technical things, the best way to do filtering, you know, on a, on a BGP, on a peering session, you know, there's lots of talk, you know, mm-hmm. RPKI is a super hot topic, right? And yeah, and BCP38, it's been, a, it's been a topic for many years. So there's lots of conversation going on about how to do these technical things, but not so much the actual network design. They're always very specific elements. It's something that really bothers me. I see a lot of people asking questions, um, for example, yeah, about things like capacity management. And I'm thinking, that's not a technical question. That's a product question. What's the product that you're selling? Yeah, that, that that determines the answer to that question. No, for sure. And I think it also doesn't help that we have all these technical presentations that we follow and that we do like to follow as engineers. But usually there's, like you said, a big explanation of a technical subject. And then at the end, there's one slide about use cases. Um, <laughs> I feel it should be the other way around. Right? What's the use case? And then we have a solution for a use case, but not, not we have a technical solution for what's the problem, right? Exactly, exactly. I so think, if you're saying a network design engineer, where, where in your mind is, you've, you've mentioned architects as well, where in your mind is, is the difference between a network design engineer and an architect? Uh, I, think that's actually, I think that's a really great question because actually I've had that question a lot from, um, from very junior engineers um, who have, say, they've, they've done something like a CCNA or, or JCNA, something like that. And then they, they're trying to work out where to go next in their career. And they, and I, they, say, they say to me, where should I go next? And I say, well, you know, where do you want to go? And they say something like, I want, to be, I want to be the best network architect ever. I want to be the guy where basically whatever the problem is, 
I'm the one they ask and I've got the and I've got the solution to I can fix any problem, you know, on the network. And I'm saying, well, that's not what an architect is. Um, so I think it's a good question. So and 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 it helps to clarify, you know, what is a good design? You know, what's the difference between architecture and design? Mm -hmm. So and people are free to disagree with me on this, of course, but so my opinion is that architecture is is about um these these the focus of these people is is 51% or more so i mean the majority of their time is looking more towards um the business um what are the business requirements and the requ commercial requirements of the business you know and the minority so 49% or less of their time is looking towards the technical technical side of things for how that's being done so they're focusing on the business strategy for the majority of the time and yeah, network designers and engineers are spending that fifty-one percent or more of their time focusing on the network strategy, not the business strategy. Um, so, to give an example, um, a a company that I previously worked for, um, I guess you would clarify as a sort of tier two sort of ISP network. My my background is is entirely in ISP networking, um, and this company was a was a ISP, a business ISP, and so we would, and we we had a product that many many business ISPs have called DIA Direct Internet Access, and so for anyone who's not in the ISP world, that's kind of a sort of high speed wires only sort of business grade, you know, premium grade internet connection. It's going to be a sort of dedicated fiber, one gig, ten gig, maybe higher, um, with very high SLAs, you know, very a very low mean time to repair and that kind of thing. So it's a real premium grade business service. And, and an engineer looks at that and thinks, uh, that's just basically uh, a static default route. You know, <laughs> that's, that's that product summed up in one, right? Um, and, and at some later point in time, um, the business said, well, we've invested heavily in transit. Yeah, we, we spend a, our OPEX for transit is pretty high because we have a lot of transit in order to be able to sell this, this DIA product to all our customers. And we want to reduce the OPEX. We want to reduce our OPEX um, because it's too high. And so for architects, you know, in my opinion, a typical kind of requirement that the business brings to the, the architecture department is, is exactly that. They say the OPEX on the network is too high. We want to either, we want to lower it and or shift that OPEX to be CAPEX um, for us, that's less risky. And so that's the requirement you've got. And so the architects look at the network, they look at the costs, they look at the services. You know, they're going to have a, they're going to have a breakdown of sort of cost per user per service and this kind of thing. And they're going to look at it and they're going to say, right, well, this this DIA product, you know, we spend a lot of money on transit. Um, what we could do is we could actually do a bit of analysis, get some net flow data, for example, um, and we can do that. You know, pretty common exercise that the ISPs do. We can. Um, we can look at something like NetFlow data and and say, right, well, you know what? 80% of our traffic goes to like a handful of ASNs, you know, the big CDNs in the world. That's that's where most of our traffic goes. Um, so what we could actually do is we could have some one-time CapEx expenditure, which is to bring up some private peering links with those CDNs or, or get some on-nets, bring them on-net and have on-net CDN caches or peer with them at public exchanges, however we want to do it. But those are kind of methods that, that, that get us connectivity to those ASNs in, in pretty much one hit CapEx expenditure with a, a negligible amount of ongoing OPEX. 
So that's kind of what comes out of architecture, in my opinion. They've looked at that business requirement and they formulated an extremely high level network requirement, which is more private peering and on net caches, reduced transit commit. And that's the kind of thing that would come out in a sort of network architecture framework, which the network design engineers would pick up. And then that's where a sort of low level design would come into play. How are we going to peer? Where will we peer? How will we set up all our um, prefix filters? Do we need our PKI? And they, they, they get right down into that sort of juicy detail of, you know, all the way down to how do we configure those, those router ports and stuff. Um, yeah, I think that... So hopefully that was a clear... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's definitely a clear example. And, and I think that goes the other way around as well, right? Let's say I'm an engineer with a, uh, an ISP and I think, for example, we should implement uh, RPKI, going back to that example, then you're actually saying make the business case and because uh, uh, that justifies why you're uh, why you want to do that right yeah exactly and i think that's that's a really interesting point um so i, I did see a talk a presentation um a few months ago now by someone from telia uh, talking about how they rolled out rpki and um i asked the question to the guy the presenter and this this is going back to what we said earlier about um yeah i think the there's a lot of talk about the raw technical things, but not so much about the overall network design and, and the product. I asked the guy afterwards, I said, are you allowed to talk about how, how you made the business case you know, to get this going inside Telia? That's, you know, it's a big company. Everyone knows at big, big companies that the wheels turn annoyingly slowly and um, people don't really listen to you unless you can show them how many, how many zeros you're going to shave off the bill. They're not interested in what you've got to say. So we, we had a bit of a chat, private chat about that, but he couldn't. He couldn't. Um, he couldn't talk about it publicly. And I, I, obviously, some things I understand are, are commercially sensitive, but I, I definitely think there are things that could be talked about uh, more. You know, more openly. You don't need to disclose your supplier rates. Just uh, you know, some things that are beneficial to to, to one uh, operation, one one network operator, are going to be beneficial to everybody. Yeah, people making cases for IP version six deployment. Yeah, yeah, this kind of thing. Well, in this podcast series, we talked about IPv6 as well. But then, uh, in the sense that, for example, now that there's this protocol named Rift uh, for in data centers that leverages the advantages IPv6 brings, right? So with IPv6, the thing is indeed the business case was uh, missing until uh, new technologies started to appear like a segment routing and rift uh, that le- that specifically leveraged uh, the, the the specifics of ipv6 in other words there wasn't really a business case to uh, start rolling out ipv6 because ipv4 was still good enough so the inspiration for this podcast we got from a presentation you gave earlier at uh, UKNOV. in one of the slides you uh, uh, you showed what's called the engineering balance. Maybe you can uh, elaborate a little bit on uh, on that balance and with regards to what you were just saying with business drivers and uh, uh, technical uh, fancy stuff, which we as engineers would be looking for. How did you relate that? Yeah, sure. So uh, it, the title of that talk, okay, was was um, what does a good, good design look like? Um, and the intention there was to highlight how the word good is essentially bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, I don't think there's, yeah, I really hate the word good. <laughs> what, what does good mean? It doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah, and I think good, 
what we call good designs, we're really looking for yeah, is optimal, optimal designs. And, and that means a balance, like you said. So when we design a product or a network connectivity service, you know, engineers may not think of it as a product, but it, somehow it will be a product. Um, what we're going for is a balance. Um, so to, to, yeah, to give an example, um, when we, when we make, you know, de design decisions as we're designing some new product or service, um, the, the classic mistake that I see with engineers is they think what's technically, technically the best I can do here. Um, so for example, going back to the ISP I spoke about earlier, I said I worked for an ISP and, um, we had a DIA product, right? And so let's say we're going to launch a, um, a transit product now. We've got all this peering in place um, and we've got loads of tier one connectivity and CDN caches and we've been doing DIA for a while so we're going to launch a transit product now. We're going to sell to other sort of tier three, tier two providers uh, an IP transit service. You know, and any engineer who's got to design that service, uh, an IP transit service for example, the first thing they're probably going to do is, is, is think, right, well what we need is um, URPF and we need um, prefix filters and we we need RPKI and we need um, you know peering DB records and we need to fill out this that that and the other we need new ODFs and patch panels for all the cross connects we're going to have and yeah they just go go completely over the top and over engineer the thing but what you have to do is strike this balance where um, unless for some miracle reason um, you're deciding to launch a product only when you have a thousand customers already knocking on your door. You probably have just one or two people asking if you can do it. And this is kind of a bit of a proof of concept, you know, that that's how most sort of products tend to get launched is a few customers say we'd be interested in it. So the business goes, oh, okay, I think we can make a few, a few, a few pounds here, as I would say. Um, let's go for it. So, you, you know, you have to strike this balance as you design the service or the product. Um, so probably what you would launch is what we call an MVP, minimum viable product. So that means you don't have every feature that your router possibly supports um, right from day one. It means you have the minimum number of features you need to get going, right? So, you know, if we're going to put some, we're going to buy one or two new routers that we're going to put at the edge of our network that we're going to connect our IP transit customers to, for example, um, Actually, it doesn't need to support RPKI. It doesn't need to support URPF. I mean, all those things you know, that, you know, people definitely should be doing and ideally should be doing. Um, but if it, you know, if for some reason this was going to you know, double the cost of the router, then actually that may have to become a day two requirement rather than a day one requirement. And and it's as those dis those those decisions. I think not all engineers are fully thinking through. They're just thinking, yeah, what's technically the best we can do, um, and and. It's much wider than, say, just cost. That's an obvious, an obvious um, consideration. Um, so, for example, when we choose the router that we're going to land our, our transit customers on, there are many, many things to think about. Um, things like the, the port density, for example. I mean, I'm just making this up as I go along, but just this is hopefully this will illustrate, you know, even in a made-up example, how many things there are to consider. We have to think about what's the port density, right? So, if we think the average customer is going to want, say, a 10 gig port, then actually a high density 100 gig router is no good to me. Um, I need to think about, yeah, obviously what's the cost of the device because someone's got to pay for it, but there's going to be things like how well does it integrate with our monitoring system? You know, do I get, you know, if it's a kind of managed 
transit service, then do I get traps when the interfaces go down? Do I get alerts when the, the prefix filters are breached or when they're nearly breached? Um, you know, does this support um, any sort of useful telemetry? Does it integrate into our existing NMS? How complicated is it to configure this stuff? If it's a brand new vendor that's not an existing vendor, what's this sort of learning curve to get our operations guys up to scratch? If we're this sort of company that has any accreditations or compliance reg, you know, or regulations to follow, how does it fit in with all those? What's the kind of SLAs that the hardware, you know, if I'm buying this router from a, from a, from a hardware vendor, what's their SLAs going to be? If it explodes today and I have to wait one week to get a new one, that's probably useless. Um, you know, so there are so many things to factor into to, to those sort of decisions. And... But the, again, the, the same co- the conversations you always see going around on sort of on uh, Slack channels or you know in conferences and stuff are just this is how you configure RPKI. Um, if I'm like, wow, that that comes right at the end of the road for me. All these other decisions have to be made first, um, and that's that's way down the road. Um, so you know something something a product that I've been working on recently, um, for example, one of the Another, this is a, again a recurring issue I see is that yeah, once you launch that transit service, that isn't the end of it. That's the start of the service. You, this is the, just the beginning of the journey. Uh, uh, one of the products that I've been working on in my day job has been live for a couple of years now. And it wasn't just like we designed it, we built the network, you know, off we went. And then we, you know, we just turned to the sales guys and said, great, the network's live, everything's live, go forth and sell, you know, have a good life. Um, that was just the beginning because you know now we get cust- we've had you know, customers coming on board, and once that service has gone live, you have to go you you go through this very very long and and essentially never ending um, post deployment life cycle right so so once this equipment has once this service has gone live, um, we have to make sure for example that we have continual SLA measurement in place. Um, we look at the actual service. We, we develop what we call KPIs, key performance indicators for this service, to make sure that that it is working and continues to work you know, as the customer base grows. We look at expanding it, customers. So in this fictional scenario of IP Transit, they may, you know, we want to grow into more and more pops to make sure we can get more customers. So how do you identify those pops? Um, we need to sort of scale probably vertically as well as horizontally. You know, 10 gigs was the norm, but 100 gigs is the norm today. And tomorrow it's going to be 200 or 400 gigs. So not only do we need more pops and more routers, we need faster ones. So we have to be continuously working with our vendors on the on their strategy and their roadmap, feeding their roadmap into ours in a sort of circular fashion, you know, to, to, to align with each other's requirements. Um, you know, we've got customers knocking on the door saying, we want this feature, we want that feature added in as well. So this is the other thing as well, is that once you've gone through all these decisions, um, to get this sort of optimal network design to launch the service, it doesn't just stop there as well. It keeps going, and it, and it's a it's a feedback loop that you have to keep going through. And again, this is the this is this is the kind of thing that I really want to raise awareness of in in the community is is having these discussions and people sharing their experiences of um, you know how do they decide which features they need in their in their MVP in their minimum viable product, um, and how do they operationalize those features and support them and that kind of thing. So if you're, I mean, this is all great, and these are great examples of, of how things should look like, but um, I feel that there's a lot of experience behind this uh, from your side and, and from anyone else who should consider this. Is 
do you think that there's another way to learn all these considerations um, other than just by experiencing it, by deleting a VLAN in the middle of the night and, and ma- making outages? <laughs> and- <laughs> We've definitely all been there. Um, for me, it was VTP. Yeah, but yeah, we've all been there. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point. And so, yeah, I mean, me, myself just saying, I think we should talk about this more isn't kind of really enough, right? I think we do need to actually, yeah, we'll try and encourage these discussions on, on social media platforms and on mailing lists, you know, and Slack channels and and, meet, and physical meetups when they when, when we get back to that point in, in time again. Um, but yeah, there, there does need to be more. I mean, I know there are things, for example, like... Um, I don't like to sort of name names, but I know that Cisco, you know, they have a CCDE program. I'm not sure if any other vendors, Juniper or Nokia, has a similar design-focused course. I'm not really up to date with certificates and, you know, those sorts of things. Um, I know there's been... So I know that's the kind of one example of like a design-based, design-focused sort of industry certificate that exists. But I think you're absolutely right, Rick, that the some of this stuff is heavily experience-based and that's actually something that I find very frustrating is that engineers learn to ask these questions. Um, you know, we're going to put, what we're going to do is we're going to use a lag to connect this customer. What are the problems that could I could face with the lag? And most people learn what the problems with lags are the hard way like you said about deleting VLANs, most people learn the hard way about how lags actually don't really balance the traffic they need. And then it turns out the switch they've used can't support the amount of links they need and all this kind of stuff. You learn it the hard way. Um, so yeah, getting people to think in that way. Yeah. So one path may be something like a CCDE. Um, but I, it, mm-hmm. for me, that's not quite what we need. Um, and, and, and the reason is I think, you know, it, I'm not. I think there is a place in the world for vendor certificates, but yeah, something like design is is so heavily based on experience. I don't think you're going to get that from a certificate. You get raw technical knowledge, um, but how to present that in 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 a, in a certain way to some non-technical people is not something you can learn in a certificate. And yeah. how to explain you know the pros and cons of certain technologies to customers is not something you can sort of learn in a certificate. Well, and even if you would have a test and a certificate in the end, I mean, what would be the learning process, right? How do you gain the knowledge to do the test? Um, and like you said, for with a lag, I mean, uh, we've all been there where one link has 2% packet loss and the other doesn't. And then sometimes you have issues with a certain application and sometimes you don't. So yeah, all these weird things that that, that we that you have to see before you, before you learn it. And they're... You can't really write them down in a book, I feel. Yeah, well, so I would like to try and encourage more people to to you know to give talks on these things, their experiences, not just with the very technical side of things, but also yeah, with, with these non-technical I- issues. Um, I, personally, I am actually trying to write a book on network design to try and get some of these not specific questions on down on on paper, but to get across to other engineers, the mindset, put yourself in this mindset, you know, be thinking about the bigger picture, be thinking about the impacts of what you're doing on the field engineers who have to deploy this stuff. But, you know, think about the impact on the, the 3 a.m. support guy who has to pick up the, you know, pick this up when it's exploded. Yeah, these these kind of things. So I want to try and put those sort of 
questions into the mindsets of engineers. Um, yeah, yeah, one way is giving presentations, you know, perhaps another way is being on this podcast. Yeah, another way is that I, I have actually started trying to write a book. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's much wider. It's actually the, the whole community needs to start sharing this information. So if, if you're saying that um, you're writing a book that's all, all great, and I feel like the, the examples you've mentioned, they're, they're all following a certain thought process. So if you look at a typical network design document, I mean, you've mentioned Visio drawings before, I mean, but that's not a network design. That's just an illustration of a network design. So do you feel there should be a more, um, some sort of a standard or form where we would write down that thought process that you go through to make these decisions? Is, is there something you've, you're trying to do? It's something I've been thinking about. So I've started drafting this this book and what I've started doing is yeah, kind of laying out in the, the contents of what all the subjects I think that would be interesting and useful and relevant. And that the contents is, is, is kind of essentially, of, of the book is essentially a sort of um, start to finish of designing a network product. And so, in, in, you know, what I'm trying to do is come up with a few fictional examples of network products and walk them I mean, and then in the book walk through right from very you know gathering the initial requirements and evaluate and you, you actually have to go further back than that to do um a sort of analysis could this even be a product you know and if it could what would it look like and then we gather the requirements to work out how we could meet you know meet that and implement that then going on through to creating a sort of high level design, doing some testing, you know, and implementing some sort of low level design that actually gets implemented into the network, following it forward with then actually um, some sort of monitoring framework and identifying, you know, what are the sort of what we call the KPIs, the key performance indicators that we need to be monitoring and how do we, you know, differentiating between performance monitoring and fault monitoring, for example. Yeah, and walking that whole process through from start to finish um, for a few different made-up, you know, connectivity products simultaneously to kind of give give people a different view of of what that whole process could look like end to end. The the only the only problem with that is, of course. So I work for a fairly large company, um, and we have the resources to do all those things. If you work for a two-man ISP, and you are first, second, third line support, field engineer, three AM support guy, you know, and also the cleaner. Um, you may not have resources to, to, to be so thorough and detailed, and but to try and lay out that utopian um, design path, so that you know, work through every step, um, and, and then show people hopefully some new thought processes they can you know use when they're designing network services um, to improve the designs that they're, they're producing. That's that's the goal. It's really interesting. You you mentioned the the the, the knock guy at three a.m. having to 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 solve an an outage. What really helped me years ago, I worked for an outsourcing company where there was no knock and there were only third line engineers. So the thing was that if you and you were responsible end to end, right? So you would do uh, indeed initial design based on business requirements. You would be the one procuring the equipment, uh, uh, testing it, installing it, and in the end, running it. So an interesting thing is that if you're the one responsible for having to wake up at night during an outage or if there's an, an issue, then that totally changes the way you 
you look at it during the design phase, because obviously no one wants to wake up at 3 a.m. Uh, in the night to solve an issue and don't have documentation or uh, or tools or know where to look. Um, so that definitely helps as well, keeping in mind indeed that guy that needs to fix the issue at 3 a.m. Um, another question, how do you see the role of, uh, let's say, automation in, in these kind of design processes, especially... Uh, keeping in mind that a lot of the networking vendors are now talking about intent-driven uh, networking. Um, so in other words, you express your business interest and the network sort of picks that up and knows based on that what, what routing decisions, for example, to take. What's your view on that? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, it's something I have been thinking about as well because yeah, it, on the one hand, it could really, really change network design could really change things. Um, I mean, I think it's a little bit early days right now, but I think it could really change things. Um, I, my only sort of critique, though, of, of, of this idea is it will highly depend on the service you're offering, um, I would say. So to give an example of what I mean, one product that I've been working on, um, we deploy dedicated infrastructure just for that product. Um, and the reason is the product is is a pretty highly available product, and, and um, it must be free from you know in a in a network where we have many customers of, of many different services. This one particular product must be free, for example, of the impact, you know, of of change requests, for example, upgrades and downgrades. You know, this this can't be on shared infrastructure. It, you know, to to, redu- to minimize things like um, yeah, software upgrades taking this service down. But yeah, when that software upgrade was was requested by another service, um, so it, I guess it kind of depends, yeah, on what the scope of the service and the product is going to be. I can imagine it being very interesting, um, indeed, yeah, because we could actually go from designing, um, having just sort of the, this whole lengthy process of getting a device and then testing the device and then de- configuring it and deploying it and that kind of thing, to saying, well, we've got all this kit in the network this is just an over-the-top service, yeah, we can just push the intent to the network. The network turns up my service and off we go. And, you know, those those devices we kind of like would have tested once up front and then put them in the network. And so we can kind of skip the testing part, for example. Um, so probably it's going to depend a little bit on the, yeah, like I said, on the service you're offering. So, for example, if it needed dedicated infrastructure, you're probably no better off. I mean, automation would always help you do the work you know, more efficiently. So hopefully you can get it deployed quicker, you can fix problems quicker and that kind of thing. There are operational benefits with automation, but the operational benefits are huge. Um, probably not going to go into that right now. That's that's 12 different podcasts all on its own, right? Mm-hmm. That's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And, and, and um, but it's very heavily, in my opinion, yeah, op, ops focused. Um, and with the design, I guess one one key consideration of design for me um, is that in this early stage, and to the best of my knowledge as well, because I'm not an expert on intent-based networking, is that what we're going to be pushing out there is the absolute final, fully agreed, won't, won't, there'll be no more changes sort of design. Um, and yeah, my career to date has been the business comes along or an architect comes along and says, this is the high level requirements, turn that into a sort of low level network design and, and yeah, that's going to be implemented and that we can reasonably support and reasonably monitor and that sort of thing. Um, and that 
then requires me to go back and say, hey, these requirements are just useless. <laughs> what does this mean? Must forward layer two across the globe, <laughs> across just down the street, VLANs, no VLANs. You know. And that's that's like the practical day-to-day real life stuff that happens, isn't it? You, have to, you, know, you have to go back and reaffirm the requirements. Then you get some kit out and you test it. And then actually some of the features you don't need work. So then you go back again and say, actually, we can't have these features. So we'll just remove them from the requirements. They were never a requirement and we'll carry on. <laughs> And so, yeah, intent-based stuff sounds very good. Save, save for a few, yeah, corner cases like things like dedicated infrastructure or, or um, whether you know the requirements obviously must exactly fit your network. I get, I guess that intent-based networking is not going to help you if your intentions can't actually be delivered by the network. Yeah. Well, I think you're making a, a, a really good point there um, with regards to requirements, right? And in a lot of cases, that the, uh, at, at least from my experience, the, the ask I've, I've been getting is, hey, can you indeed design this service? And it should do this. But um, I think that that would also be a very valid point in, in what a good design uh, uh, looks like the initial steps should include let's say clarification sessions right because how often um, uh, have, have you heard um, uh, this this remark that yeah they just sold it and we have to build it um, uh, without yeah I mean it, it happened to all of us right uh, absolutely yeah and and so I think a lot of this misinterpretation uh, could be uh, could have been prevented by just asking clarification questions and hey is this actually what you what you're looking for or what the customer needs yeah uh, it, yeah it, like you said so it's a it's happened to all of us definitely I mean uh, 10 times over yeah and and but also B I think what I said, or what we all said earlier, was you know engineers were really attracted to the shiny, shiny technical, technical stuff. Um, yeah, that's because that's what we're passionate about. We all get sidetracked. You know, I think nobody is um, free of free of that. We all get sidetracked by the the shiny technical stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, and part of the reason I think that happens is because the requirements aren't clear. I often see people, you know, really over-engineering a solution because, you know, the possibilities of the technology they've got are really interesting. You know, they could do so much cool stuff with this this thing, whatever it is, and the, and the engineer, the, you know, inside them really wants to play with all, turn all the knobs and flick all the switches and, you know, <laughs> see all the lights going. But I think the only reason they're, they're thinking that is because the requirements aren't clear. Um, when I'm designing stuff, Something that I always try and do is um, go back to wherever the wherever this this requirement has come from, and much to this person's annoyance, press them and press them and press them, um, and get those requirements clearer and clearer and clearer, until. In, and for me, in the ideal scenario, when I actually design a network, and this is going to sound a bit strange, there's essentially, for me, the ideal scenario is that there's no decision for me to make. The requirements are so clear that there's essentially only one, maybe two ways that I can actually implement this, and that's it. Because um, you know, if I've got some sort of, um, uh, let's say, the requirement is um, layer two networking, layer two VPNs. Let's just making this up, right? So we've got some layer two VPN requirements. If the requirement is to do point-to-point layer two connectivity as a product. Um, and yeah, we sit down and refine the requirements and, and again and again and again until the person's fed up with me asking them questions. 
you know, and what we've come to is that actually it, it's just point to point. So I don't need anything like VPLS um, or EVPN. Um, they've, and they've got no intentions of, of evolving it to say point to multi-point, you know, or multi-point to multi-point. That's, that's never on the roadmap. Um, the the scale is going to be uh, medium. So I, I don't need to sort of, uh, you know, I would wager that in the future as things like um, EVPN pseudo-wise become more uh, mature, they're going to end up scaling higher than LDP. But probably today, LDP scales a bit better. But, you know, so there's going to be some sort of um, pieces of information we can extract from the requirements that could kind of one by one tick off these different technologies until I'm left with basically two, maybe one possible way of doing this or, or sort of most optimal way of doing it. And and clarifying those requirements for me yeah, is, is, a, is a really big deal because that, that ensures that whatever you're designing a, meets the requirements that it was asked of you. I think, B, you know, you as a network engineer, you, you're giving the most value back into the company you can, so it looks good for you. But C, it, it stops that over-engineering, um, over-complexity that often comes from engineers. You know, the business says we need point-to-point pseudo-wires, but I'll just use, you know, EVPN, and, you know, it'll just be two single active EVPN connections. And then some poor guy has to troubleshoot it, you know, two o'clock in the morning. And it would have just been much, much easier. Operationally, it would have been much easier if it was just a old school, dead boring point to point LDP pseudo wire, you know, with, with no flashy lights. Um, and that's, so that's kind of for me, yeah, what's, what's really important about getting those requirements right in the first place. Yeah. I think that these are really interesting uh, topics to to talk about in in the book you mentioned uh, uh, you just mentioned as well. Um, how can people help? I mean, I can imagine, uh, and I know I've I've tried to write a few books myself as well. Um, that it's it's a lot of work. Um, it, it can become very uh, large, uh, especially covering a, a broad topic like this. Do you, would you welcome people to help, or is there are you working on GitHub or? Yeah, I would absolutely welcome the help. Um, so the, the stage I'm at right now is just kind of I've been formulating the, um, the rough structure, you know, what are the subjects we need to cover and roughly in what order. And then I'm at the stage now of doing the background research, so trying to gather some 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 real life and some fictional examples. But, I, you know, it'd be quite nice to put some real life examples in there that, that helps people relate to it. So that's kind of where I'm at now is doing the background research and then probably around Christmas time. In, in the quiet time of Christmas, you know, my plan was to sit down and start putting pen to paper and getting on with that first draft. But so I, I'm definitely going to need help, you know, things like reviewing it, you know, it's a very niche subject. Where on earth am I going to find, um, you know, some, some, some people to review such a book on network design? You know, there must be a, a very small number of people who are both, um, you know, masters of the, of the English language. You know, which I am not, so I'll definitely need help. So where am I going to find someone who's a master of the English language and good at networking? That must be a very small Venn diagram. So I would say, yeah, I definitely need help with things like reviewing it, you know, um, criti- you know criticisms and what can be removed, what can be added in, you know, all, all those sorts of things. I would definitely welcome the help, yeah. Cool. So we'll be sure to put your contact details at the, at the end of this podcast. But to, to, to finish up the questions, um, if you would make a short summary of what you've all mentioned, I mean, it's, it's a lot of information that we've given the listeners, but if, if an engineer comes up to you and say, all right, uh, what are the 
I need to finish my network design document by Friday, uh, which is in two days. What's, what are the key aspects that you say, be sure to take this into consideration or be sure to highlight this in your, uh, in your document or in your uh, design that you're making? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think that the, 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 the key things for me would be, yeah, one, the requirements, everything hinges on requirements. You know, what, what you're implementing must fulfill those requirements. Otherwise, you can have unhappy unhappy customers, unhappy boss. Um, so must you must fulfill the requirements. Um, second of all is um, if you've really got to rush it, just do, what's the least complex thing you can implement you know, if you're in a squeeze, what's you know, and you haven't got time to think through all the permutations, all the different technologies that you could use, what's the least complex one that you can you can put out there? It may not necessarily be the technically you know sexiest, but what what's the least complex that will that will really take you a long way in terms of deploying something quickly, get it documented quickly, you know, get it live quickly, get customers on board and revenue coming in. Um, so yeah, requirements reduce that complexity, and and then ideally, as a you know, as a minimum. Get, get some sort of documentation out there and, and even if it's just you know um a text file right just a plain text file with a few words in it and, and some visio diagrams if 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 this design is sort of simple and clean and neat enough in a squeeze then yeah even that will do just some some detailed diagrams and some and some descriptions all right i think that's a, a perfect a summary <laughs> um, of a book that's probably going to be a few hundred pages if i'm if i'm hearing you um james how can people uh reach out to you how can they find you i know you're uh, very active on on twitter and you're on linkedin but what's preferred how can people find you um yeah the, the best way to get in contact with me is um like you said on twitter um so i'll be on there with my name jw bensley uh, and on LinkedIn as well, you can drop me an email, jwbensley at gmail.com. Um, yeah, those are probably the best ways. And I'm on about a half a dozen different Slack channels as well. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Um, with that, we've, uh, we've come to the end of this episode of the Routing Table podcast. James, uh, thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. Sure, you're you're welcome. Good luck with the book. Uh, we hope to, to have you back once the book is done and... and uh, we can do a three-hour session probably on that holy grail of, of design. All the spelling mistakes in there. <laughs> we, <laughs> we have high hopes. Thanks again, James. With that, if you have any comments, suggestions, or if you would want to be our guest uh, in, the, in the next episode of the Roundtable podcast, uh, you can find us on roundingtable.cloud. And um, see you next time.